Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Aaron Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast about immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. 7th of December, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You know what's next. Anyways, have you started your Christmas shopping yet? For our Jewish friends, I hope you guys had a good Hanukkah. As for the rest, I'm sorry if I didn't mention your celebration. Not that I don't want to. It's just I'm not educated in that topic yet. Here's a great idea. Why don't you educate me about your religion by sending me a message on Instagram or Facebook at An Immigrant's Life or send me an email at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. While I'm waiting for your messages, I'd love for you to listen to my podcast, An Immigrant's Life, which you can find on all podcast platform and YouTube. I know you don't want to hear about my rambling, so let's talk about this week's episode. I had a great talk with our guest this week about her art, the supernatural, about her being adopted, and all the traumas that came with it. Oh, by the way, their band Blue Ghost released a new song called When Autumn Fills My Lungs. It's a pretty good song, I like it, so I'm pretty sure you'll like it too. Having said all that, without further ado... Let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a cartoonist, a musician, and a poet. She's a Visayan vixen and the mystic of Malpitas. Everyone, please welcome Trinidad Escobar. Thank you. Hi, Hello. Trinidad. How are you? I am doing very well, and I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it, and thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Of course, this is fun. We get to get to know each other. Of course, yeah, I love it. And cool people. Well, you're cool. I don't know about me. <laughs> you're very cool. I think <laughs> podcasters are very cool. Oh, thank you, thank you. So yeah, let's get to it. Let's talk about Trinidad's hero's journey. Where was she from? Her background, all this stuff. Okay, um, I am from the Philippines. I was born in Bataan. Uh, but my family's originally from Northern Samar. And I was adopted mm. by a Tagalog and Ilocano family that was living in um, America in California um, in 1986. And I was raised in California in the Bay Area. Um, and I have always done some kind of art since I was little, like a lot of artists. Um, grew up wanting to be an artist and uh, thinking that I had to do regular, you know, nine to five work and then make art my hobby. Just kind of having that mentality my whole life. And then when I was in college, I was studying psychology and sociology because I wanted to work with young people in some capacity in terms of their behavior and um, the way that they think. I wanted to tap into to some of that and realized I actually wanted to work with young people in the arts because the type of connection I was looking for um, in education and teaching was in self-exploration and um, a lot of reflection required of, or a lot of re reflection and reflective work. Um, that I think a lot of young people don't have spaces to um, exercise, especially in school, mm -hmm. so especially at home. So <laughs> um, 
I switched my major and decided to start doing art, like poetry and um, writing illustration on my own without, you know, any professional training or like any structured training, but then pursued um, creative writing in mm. San Francisco State University. And then from there, I wanted to get my master's in writing. I went to the um, Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics. And then I dropped out, out, I dropped out at the very end um, because it, it just didn't feel fulfilling anymore. And it, it mm. didn't feel like it was the right path. Um, and I, um, it's unfortunately too, that the program was really inundated with, um, traditional, conventional white writers. Um, and I just felt like it was, it was a wasted opportunity, especially at the Jack Kerouac school. Mm -hmm. So then after that, I went to get my MFA at California college of the arts to get an MFA in comics. Mm -hmm. And that was a very, that was, I always talk about this in like every interview, but it was the most challenging and the most rewarding um, experience for me academically. And it led to a lot of opportunities, but that's like the, the mainstream path. But all along that way, I was also studying and learning from artists underground doing things like 24 hour comics day mm -hmm. um, every year. Uh, for the last like 10 years do you know what under or underground do you know what 24-hour comics days nope please no? tell me okay so uh, every year usually in um the fall september or october um comic shops uh art studios schools sometimes individuals will host a 24-hour comics day in which people are invited to spend 24 hours together overnight um, and you spend uh, every hour working on a single comic to finish a 24 page comic within a day. Oh, so one project for all of the artists? Um, each artist gets to make their own thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so 24 hour comics day, you just make up a story mm -hmm. and you to go through the whole process, whatever your process is to make comics. And by the end of that 24 hour period, you should have a full comic done, including colored if you want to do a colored comic. And so it's a challenge for a lot of people, but in doing that, you get to experience comics the way that they were originally shared and mm -hmm. the way that the information was disseminated. Mm -hmm. So um, always grassroots, always do it yourself. Um, and I think that that comics, that underground, like do-it-yourself comics experience has educated me the most out of like, it, it, it educated me more than like a lot of aspects of school, you know? Yeah. You're learning from working artists who, who make as a way of life and not just a way to make a living, but a way of life, like processing through comics and and experiencing life and documenting it through comics. Mm -hmm. Why do you choose comics as your art? I, I love comics because anyone can do them. Like you don't need, um, like going back to that point of it being underground, um, grassroots, anyone can make a comic with a pencil and a napkin, scrap mm -hmm. of paper. I, you I know? used to do this. 
I post yeah, some I, in the, on Instagram. I mean, not quality as like yours, but something like this. I'm going to check that out. I love no, that. Please don't. <laughs> I love that. No, it, it makes me happy. I think, um, you know, I remember being in high school and just drawing all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so anyone can do it. You don't need to go to school to learn how to do it. And it's also not lofty information that you have to study for a while before you tackle it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. some people feel that way about like aspects of writing, like some high forms of poetry seem inaccessible to people. Um, whereas comics, um, you can kind of look at it and intuitively know how to read it. And then you could probably figure out how to make them just by looking at them too. Yeah, I like what you say that because, you know, as Filipinos back in the early 50s, 60s, 70s, a lot of Filipinos learned reading through comics because they used to go to the market and there's like a stand that sells comics and then they'll give to pe- and they'll, people will pay, I don't know, a cent or whatever. Mm-hmm. Said so they'll learn reading through that. That's yeah. actually my dad, when he was young, that's how he learned how to read is reading comics. Yeah, my mom too. My mom also told me that. Like her main ways of uh, learning English was watching cowboy movies because everything's so like exaggerated and you can kind of <laughs> figure things out. And then also comics because there's pictures and and it's not just like a children's book either. There's a lot more meaning that you can um, extract from comics from a very simple comic mm-hmm. strip. Exactly. And you know, still in the Philippines, right? There's like comics on boxes at the grocery store and chip bags and you can find them anywhere yeah yeah (laughs) when i was in elementary actually i used to collect comics i used to go to this after school we'll go to this to the market and then remember street fighter oh yeah the video game they made like a filipino story of that and (laughs) man i collect that every week that's, that's my comic so cool. books. Like, you know, I didn't have Superman. We're we're poor. That's that but at least that I could afford, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was I loved it. I saved I don't know what happened to them. My my grandma oh. probably threw it away. But oh. I I know it sucked. Speaking of comics, did you do you read Filipino? I wish I did. No. I have Filipino comics, but I just read them and study them. I don't okay. really understand what I'm reading. <laughs> Which one's your favorite? Um, I have Tabi Po. It's probably one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's new ones. How about the older ones like Darna, Zuma? Darna, and- yeah, I have I have Darna, and I have like I even have the, like the Filipino comics collection that was um, I think put out by either the University of the Philippines or the Ayala Center or something like that. Like a a really big compendium of um, historic comics and like fun old school comics from like the 30s and 40s. These are best. I love those. Yeah. What's your opinion about Darna? I love Darna. Do you have an opinion about Darna? I love Darna. Yeah, I think everyone, I don't really hear anyone say anything different from that. Yeah, one thing I like about Darna is like, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is Filipinos, we're we're not really that sexist. We're more like, like, oh, this is the job for the women, this is the job for the men, but we don't look at it like, oh, you're lower than me, you're... I'm higher than you kind of situation. And I love that our main superhero is Darna, who is a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what yeah. Did, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, absolutely. I, a lot of the, the figures that we look up to in the Philippines, right, are, are women figures. And um, 
And, and that's interesting too, because I, I think we do still in some ways deal with like patriarchal behaviors within families and, and, and communities. But um, for the most part, there's a general public love for Darna and mm-hmm. other women characters. And uh, whereas in the U.S., women characters have a, a harder time becoming popular or seen as uh, real heroes. You know, they're mm-hmm. kind of seen as like a counterpart to a male or they're seen as secondary tertiary characters. Even like Black Widow, who's finally getting a movie, right? Like mm-hmm. um, people um, don't hold her to the same esteem as Iron Man. Right? No. And there's very few characters that can compare besides Wonder Woman um, that can compare or hold up to Batman and Superman and all these really great heroes um, who are men. Um, but yeah, culturally, I would say in the Philippines, uh, and that carries out into the diaspora in North America, that um, we embrace the strength of of womanhood. Mm-hmm. That's, I completely agree. And I don't... I find that most household is more run by the women. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we have the we have the the saying which is I don't know what you think about like the under the saya. What what is that? It's like um, the man that is scared of the woman cuz oh, the woman's oh. going to beat them up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like little, like little things like that like uh, like where I, with my family and a lot of family that I uh, that I know they're Head by women, mm-hmm. like strong, mm-hmm. powerful women. They well, they don't really speak, but you know when they move, <laughs> you move too. Absolutely, I think that really comes from, you know, after the Spanish. You know, a lot of that change, at least um, temporarily, and uh, but behind the scenes, I think in our private experiences with our family, the women are in charge. The women are the ones that keep the families together and going. They keep traditions going, the arts going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a reverence that rings true, you know, when we see that in in art, like with Darna. It's yeah. like, yeah, absolutely. The hero is a woman. Why would it be anything else? Yeah, there's um, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, know, and, they know more things anyway. Well, what, <laughs> what are men going to do? We're just going to do stupid shit and cause war <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah, and it's so fascinating too, because you know, in um, like let's say in the USA, traditionally the men take care of finances and money, right? Or that's supposedly the gender role, mm-hmm. um, and they hold a lot of power in America within American families because of that. And in the Philippines, it's different, where women traditionally, before the Spanish, especially, were in charge of finances, economy, yes. and trade and um, diplomacy. So. I think that still carries on into our families now. Yeah, it, it, like I said, we're. I find like our Filipino culture is very. I find equal at least. Like you know how they're saying that men are the, they're the, they're the one that we depend on. The family depends on, and the women are the light of the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I I always love that saying because it's like yeah, they both different do different things, but they're both equal equally important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talking about mm-hmm. comics. Before we move on to other things, I want to say th- I love that art that you did of uh, two women lying down on their side, I think in a spoon position, and one's mm-hmm. holding the other one's mouth, mm-hmm. and the other, I think the, the other one's kissing. I love that picture. I think it's called Scar. Yeah, yeah. I love Thank that. 
Oh, because I love the the shape of them. It remind me of Sierra Madre, the mm-hmm. mountains in the Philippines. I'm like, yeah, I love that one. Oh, and, thank you. That's that was my inspiration was to have it um, resemble the curvature and shape of a mountain. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I saw that. Like, yo, this is cool, man. I like oh, this. Oh, cool. One. Yeah, <laughs> and another one that I like is the which is on a different size, the Michael K. Williams. Mm-hmm. Photograph, I love that too. Oh, Michael K. Williams. Yeah, rest in peace, obviously. Yeah, he's yeah. important. He's um, I love him because uh, the Wire. Oh yeah, yeah, hands yeah. down, one of my favorite shows. It's the best. Um, and um, I'm gonna tell you something personal, but before I go to bed with my kids, I always say, "Come at the king," <laughs> and then Yo. they will say. You best not miss. Best not miss. Yeah. That's so cute. I love that. Yeah, I tell, and I explain to them like, when you're ready to uh, to to go against the king, the best, you better be ready, be prepared. Mm, I, I just I love, love that. that. That's why I love. Like when I saw that picture, I'm like, yo, this is mm. my girl right here. I love it. Oh, thank you. You know what's funny? So many Filipinos messaged me about that piece, and it, and it's funny because like, I know a lot of people who didn't know Michael K. Williams, but a lot of Filipinos loved him. For so many reasons, besides, uh, I think a lot of them know him because of The Wire. Mm-hmm. And then they learn about who he was. And he's just someone who worked really, really freaking hard on his acting and on his life. And so I think we resonate with stories like that. Yeah. People like that who um, not just like make it against all odds, but just people who believe in hard work. I think mm-hmm. that's who we are, um, that we value that. And we appreciate people who remain humble even after doing that. So yeah, his passing it meant a lot to to lose someone like that. So who were your influences? Well, when I was younger, I um, of course loved Marvel. I loved Calvin and Hobbes in the Sunday oh, paper. I love too. Yeah, Boondocks a little later, mm-hmm. um, and some indie comics that I really loved was by Jonan Vasquez, um, who made Invader Zim. But before Invader Zim, it was Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and Squee, which were weird horror fantasy violent kind of black and white comics um but his art style and his humor um blew me away and wanted and it really influenced me so i i wanted to ink like him and you know i i practiced all the time um and then later down the line it was uh people like linda berry mm-hmm. matt graining um and like nowadays you know, it's like Emil Ferris and uh, Tilly Walden. Um, there's so many amazing people. Um, but yeah, my my start was oh yeah, the Far Side Gallery, Gary oh, um, yeah. Larson, I, all those funny comics. Speaking of like just delivering the punch. Yeah. Like oh, one man. one square and that's it. Yeah, that's like such an amazing challenge too for anyone who wants to do comics is like. Uh, try to make a funny comic or you know a witty thing within one panel. Um, it's it's a fun exercise, and to see how many like hundreds he's done. Yeah, he's he's a huge inspiration. I used to just read his books on my couch in middle school for hours and just laughing at things. And it was also my first comic book that I got. Um, my first comic collection was Farside Gallery. Um, and it was, I was like six years old and I got it from a Goodwill. My mom got it for me for like $2. Mm-hmm. And I was so thrilled. It was a huge book. <laughs> and I just read them over and over. That's amazing. Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. was it your mom that gave you the love for comics? It has both my parents, mostly my mom, who who would say things like, uh, you know, she kind of respected comics um, and would talk about them and was really interested in movies inspired by comics. So she loved Batman and she got me really into that when I was young, so much so that she got me a 14 karat gold Like it was the only piece of jewelry I had. It was like a 14 karat gold Batman um, symbol from the 1986, 89 movie. Yeah, 89. And then it had my name engraved in it. Mm -hmm. And I wore it all the time. And one time I I wore it to a kid's birthday party where they had a slip and slide. Mm. You know what those are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people don't. Yeah, okay. We still have (laughs) those. Yeah, I went on a slip and slide and the and then I got up afterwards and I was like bleeding and I didn't realize what was going on. And everyone around me was like screeching. And I looked down and my Batman necklace had like embedded in my chest just a little bit. It, it looked like someone had ninja starred me in the chest. <laughs> or somebody threw at a Batman. Uh, That's Batman what it looks like. The Batarang. The Batarang, yeah. Yeah. And, I, uh, and so I have like a Batman tattoo now like kind of framing that scar that's in my chest. Oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, Batman's like in my heart. <laughs> thanks, mom. Uh, yeah, thanks, mom. But my dad was the one who used to cut out Sunday funnies and he oh, would leave nice. them for me, like on the table for me to see. That's nice. Why do they have to cut it out? I don't... Oh, no, he just would... Oh, because I, I remember why. Because I would take them and I would I had a special wall mm. where I kind of saved things that made me laugh. And he would hope that... Um, I liked them enough to put one up. Uh, that's so awesome. he always cut it out and left it for me. He was really sweet. That's sweet. I used to do that too. I'll choose like a nice, a funny one and I'll save it. They don't mm. last obviously because, you know, it's paper. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about your graphic memoir, Crush? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love that one. Thank Can you, you give us the a little bit of the background? Yeah, um, Crushed is my memoir, and I published the first book. There's two books in 2018, and it is a book that I had been working on for about three or four years before I published it, um, uh, like from conception to finishing it. And it was my senior thesis project for my MFA program, but the version that I graduated with is not the version that people saw later. I mm-hmm. scrapped that whole first version and redid the book in 2018. Um, and the second half, I'm waiting to to publish that one. Um, yeah, but essentially, Crushed is a biomythography, and I, I borrow that word from Audre Lorde, um, but it's part memoir. It also has some history about adoption in it and the effects of adoption um, in the Philippines. And um, and then it also has some mythology in it. So I use elements of Filipino mythology to explore um, aspects of like inner experience and mental health. And then I also just naturally include elements of mythology and spirituality because it naturally came out when people were talking story, you know, with mm-hmm. me in the Philippines, it's like a part of my family's language, you know, to include like a duende or a diwata as a part of a story, like, like it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so uh, the, the man, book, I'm scared you know, of those guys, man, growing up. Right. Oh, it's real. God. 
<laughs> when yeah, it's, it it seems so real and um the way my family in the Philippines right now still talks about those things is like they're real. So uh maybe yeah. they are real. No one they knows. Are. <laughs> I still I still do the tabi tabi po. I promise you. I am almost 40 and I still do it. Same. I I don't take risks. I don't play with my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want my boss being like 100 pounds, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Always. So, sorry, I cut you off with your crush. I just want to say something. Oh, no, no, no. I just, I, I really relate because we live near a cemetery too. So every time we pass by it, we do different things to make sure, you know, no spirits follow us home. And mm. like after funerals, we still like pug pug somewhere else and then Hell go home. Yeah. Wash your hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, the, the the main character of Crush, it, uh, obviously, is half you and half uh, fictionalized, right? It's mostly me. Um, some elements of like experience are borrowed also from other women that I know who experience um, some kind of um, some kind of mental health issue that stems from adoption. What do you mean by that? Um, for some people, uh, adoptees experience trauma from being separated from their families at an early age. Um, so biological traumas that are uh, hard to address growing up when you don't understand that or you, no one has the language for it. And only now in the last maybe 10 years have people really been publishing articles about it and when, when adoptees have been expressing this experience for a long time. Um, it's a feeling of something being absent or missing from your life and you can't explain it. Mm. And for a lot of people that causes incredible um, distress as a young person. Um, and uh, I think given certain cir circumstances like nurturing circumstances, those experiences those inner experiences can develop into depression, anxiety, um, other like personality disruptions. And uh, so it's a very common phenomenon that happens with adoptees. And I wanted to make sure that if any other Filipino adoptees read this book, that they felt seen even in the ugliness of that experience, the, mm -hmm. the shame of that experience, you know? Um, and I wanted to show that for adoptees, there's ways of being with that experience and that pain without losing your freaking mind, you know, <laughs> ways of, of being with it and nurturing it. And the only ways that I learned are from my Filipino family in the Phil like I say Filipino family because I'm adopted, right? So here in America, I call my family, my Filipino American family. And then the Philippines, it's my, my family in the Philippines. Um, but their ways of thinking have been way more healing than American and Western ideas of mental health mm -hmm. so far. Um, at least culturally speaking, um, like with, for example, um, when I was younger, I used to feel like um, there was a part of me that would leave my body when I got either scared or I got, um, nervous, some something would feel not good. And I would suddenly feel like I wasn't really there. I couldn't really sense things as uh, vividly as I normally would, or 
flavors would be less intense and I'd kind of zone out. And then I learned later, right, that that is actually dissociation. That's when your body is protecting you from a very uncomfortable or scary situation and it comes from trauma. When I go to the Philippines and I talk about this, it's not just that it's trauma. It's that your spirit leaves to protect your body because it's not safe in there in that moment. And when it is safe and your body's just starting to, you know, your spirit's starting to leave, you can actually pull it back and get it to stay. And so to know that you have that kind of power, I mean, that's empowering, right? Versus, oh, this thing just happens to me and I, I don't know how to get it to stop. Yeah. I have You're to learn how to meditate. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like 10 years from now, maybe the symptoms will go away because I do enough therapy. But in the Philippines, they're like, you can start pulling yourself in again and making it safe to be in your body. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things that you can do, you know, to make sure that you do that daily. Uh, it's a whole different experience. Um, I, love a connection. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to touch back about saying you saying about um, uh, shame. So mm-hmm. you know, in Filipino culture, being adopted is a taboo is or frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Were there other people in your family's inner circle that made you feel lesser because you're ampon? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, you know, like as a kid, you don't really understand. You just understand when someone's being mean to you, right? You just you don't really get the the reasons. I do remember like aunts and uncles every now and then making sure that I knew I wasn't blood. I, I because hate you it. know there's there's that pride, it. right? I have a cousin like, that is adopted, and as a family, we don't do that. But mm-hmm. the, the the other side, they do it, and I always hated it. Right? Yeah, it's unfortunate, and and. Fortunately, there are some Filipino families, right, who know how to handle that. They're like, like, oh, no, we do this all the time in the Philippines. Someone will, like, join your family and <laughs> suddenly you're your cousin or your brother. And and it's some families normalize that. And then mm-hmm. other families are like, oh, you're not our blood. Like, we have very pure, like, Ramos blood <laughs> and you're not one of our clan. Uh, and that gets so old, right? Like, and that comes from old, old stuff. Um but, you know, adoption in, in certain ways has always happened in the Philippines. We've always had like non-nuclear family in our families. And then, and we've had blended families. Um, but for me, I had like uncles and aunts who did little things um, to let me know that I, I wasn't really part of the family. And that would be like offhand comments or like during Christmas everyone gets like a really nice gift. And then I get like a $5 bill, right? Oh my God. And I'm like, I'm not like I'm begging for money. I don't need the money, but I would notice like, oh, I was an afterthought. I wasn't really included in this planning. And um, and then, you know, it, it became more evident as I got older when I could really listen to people mm-hmm. that there were some old school thoughts uh, about me. Like um, I once uh, heard my uncle say like, Oh, don't give her any money because she's just going to send that money to the Philippines where her like greedy, poor family is just <laughs> waiting for their, you know, their remittance. And, and I was like, wow. And I had never, I could never even fathom that this family member would say such a mean thing about a kid yeah. and to say that about a kid who's trying to help. Cause I used to send money to my family starting when I was 14. Mm-hmm. I started sending money to my family. Um, and then um, have never stopped. And that's always been really important to me. But 
some family members, you know, including people who are classist in our Filipino families, you know, who are like, oh, I'm like handing money to poor people when they really should just be helping themselves. Ugh. There's a lot of that attitude too. I, I know. I hated that too. I you hear it. it. Yeah. I, I hate it. Like, yo, they need, they have, we have, we're good. Yeah. Have you seen them? Right. Oh, yeah. I, I always hated that. But I, I really, I'm, I love that you still help them out and send money to them. Mm-hmm. Are you close to them? You're a biological? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love them very much. My my adoptive parents here did a good job of making sure that I embraced being adopted, even when it was hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I never rejected the idea of being adopted, but I remember being aware that people thought I should be ashamed. And so trying to navigate that was really weird as someone who was also anxious and scared of being judged and like shy. Uh, I used to be, I used to have shame, even if I didn't feel ashamed. So I was like holding other people's shame for me. Um, yeah. What were we saying? <laughs> I don't know. But be- yeah. before I never cared about if people is adopted. Like for me, they're like, oh, that's their family, whatever. But mm-hmm. I always remember this joke from a comedian called, uh, his name's Steve Simone. Mm. So anyway, there was a joke that his brother was saying that his younger brother is adopted. Mm-hmm. And the younger brother that's being bullied to be, that's saying being adopted, he, he once said that, well, at least my mom and dad loves me more because they chose me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they really chose me. You, you just came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. I, I love that one. So... <laughs> Did you have survival's guilt knowing that you have a good life in the U.S. and your biological family are struggling back home? Yeah, I, I think I deal with that all the time. It's it's really hard. And like even when I, you know, I, I come from a um, middle class family, like lower middle class. My, my Both my parents were accountants, right, in the Philippines. And so mm-hmm. when they came here, they were able to still do accounting. Uh, like my mom came in the um, late 50s. And she had to work as a maid and did all this stuff, but eventually got back to doing accounting like 10, 15 years later. And there was a hustle there, but we had a comfortable living growing up. And um, and then when I moved out on my own as an artist, I was like, oh, so this is what it feels like to have to really work hard <laughs> to like, make it. Because, um, yeah, I so for like, you know, 15 years, I was away from home trying to like be independent American girl. And, um, and in doing that, I was still sending money home. So living in the Bay area where rent is like $2,000 for a one bedroom and, you know, you have to pay all your bills and then you also send money home. Mm -hmm. It was hard. And then I, I was like, even though I feel like I'm struggling, I have a sister who's in Kuwait because she's working as a maid to send money home to our family. And she sends almost 100% of that money Uh, back to them. Heroes, heroes. Yeah, so I'm like, I can do this. I'm like, whatever small amount I can make for my art, that small amount does a lot for my family. Like, that can buy them groceries for a whole week. So, yeah, it's, I have guilt and I understand the privilege of being here and the responsibility. That's awesome. Did you put extra pressure on yourself to make sure your adopted parents are proud? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I had that like, uh, 
I, I very much, oh, I'm going to go in a few minutes, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I had that, like, I was a really rebellious kid, mm-hmm. but at the same time, even though I was rebellious, I still had this, like, deep, powerful Filipina need to please my parents. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to be a nurse, you guys, and I'm never probably going to make a lot of money given my, my interests and what I'm going to try to do, but I'm going to make you proud in one way or another, you know? And so I, um, I still do things like if I get into a publication, like the New Yorker, I like send it to my parents and I'm like, <laughs> like look at what I did. <laughs> look at me, Ma, top and, of the world. Yeah. And then they're always just, my parents never put me down and, but they also never like pump me up. Yeah. Very so Filipino. Filipino. <laughs> like, ah, good job. They just keep it going. So I'm just like, I'm going to try even harder. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Do you, do you have a few more minutes or? Well, I could do five more minutes. So what's next for Trinidad? What's, uh, what's the next project? Thank you for asking. I have, um, I, I write songs too. I do music. So I have a song coming out and it'll be on Apple and Spotify and all that stuff and Bandcamp. And that's under Blue Ghosts my band with Meredith Hobbs Coons. Um, and then in February, I have another book coming out called Arrive in My Hands with Black Jose Press. And that's a queer um, lesbian erotica collection. And it's specifically for Filipinas, so I hope they read it. <laughs> I hope it weird some of them out. <laughs> Knock some of the Catholic shame out of them. And oh then, my God, that's forever there. That's not. That's never gonna leave. I promise. You. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, here's this offering. Here's a little thing for you. Hmm. Um, and then I have a uh, tryst, uh, a a swung story that is set in part of the Philippines, partly in America, um, and it's about two uh, women who fall in love when they are in the Philippines and then have to separate and discover that they've both been infected by an Aswan. Um, I love it. Yes. And then in 2024 is my big graphic novel, which is of Sea and Venom. And that's published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. Um, and that will be the big one, 300 pages of like fantasy set in pre-colonial Philippines. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. What kind of research did you do for this project? Oh, yeah. I did a lot of research to like kind of recreate a world that resembles um, prehistory Philippines, like 1500s uh, Central Philippines. Um, I've been collecting information for many, many years and just reading um, for a long time. Uh, but what I did was I, I made a fantasy story so that, and you know, my concern was in comics, we do cosplay, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I wanted to be able to do something where people could dress up, but they're not stealing from the Philippines <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? Or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, mimicking us or something. Um, so I I prefer to take elements from our cultures um, and and redesign what that might look like for a fantasy world. That's and awesome. so it's technically like an alternate history. I like that. By the way, if somebody's going to do a cosplay on Manananggal, hey, go ahead. <laughs> That's going to be impossible. <laughs> That's very messy. You know, by the way, for the ones that doesn't know that what Mananangal is, you, you say what Mananangal is. 
Malalanggal is a segmenter um, in the Philippines, and some people consider it an aswang, some people consider it an unga unga, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it essentially is uh, like a vampiric woman or witch who can segment at the waist or um, upper torso. Uh, she flies around looking for usually pregnant women women who are alone on the street and also lone men in the forest. There's all types of people she goes for. Mm-hmm. As long as <laughs> they have blood, she'll eat it. As long as they have blood. And if it does not scare you enough at night to go to right. bed, I promise you, <laughs> nothing will. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, lo- I love your art. I, I'm, I'm really grateful that you came on. I'd love to talk to you more, but I know you have to go. But before you leave, I just want to ask you one more question, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that you're proudest of so far and why? What am I proudest of so far? Yeah, you did a lot. New Yorker, NPR, I mean, all over the place. By the way, the first ever guest that has a Wikipedia of herself. (laughs) Thank you. Um, You know, really, the thing I'm proudest of right now is the fact that I got to be a part of a show called Women in Comics in Italy. So originally the show started in New York at the Society of Illustrators, and it's a collection of works by women cartoonists and non-binary cartoonists um, who span um, many, many years, several decades from the 60s up until uh, now. So I was uh, in the show with some of my heroes like Linda Berry, and then the show got picked up for Italy. It was moved over to Rome and then Naples for uh, like a government sponsored, like first ever women in comics exhibit. Um, and I think I'm proudest of that because I wrote a comic that was about sexual assault. And uh, the book was Drawing Power. And it's a collection of uh, comic stories based on cartoonists' real experiences being harassed or having um, experienced sexual violence. And my story was one of the more visceral ones in the book. Um, and it was really scary to publish because, you know, a lot of people don't believe victims. And there's a lot of shaming, too, around that. Um, but I thought, you know there's so much not talking about this. There's a lot of silence around this, especially with Filipino families. There's a lot of shaming and silencing. Yeah. And it's pervasive in our families too. Like um, I think every Filipina I know knows someone who has been harmed um, within their own families or who have experienced it, you know, by a close friend. And so it's such a big, you know, epidemic to me that it felt irresponsible to not tell the story. Uh, and then when I told it, it blew up and it went everywhere. And and I was like, oh, no. And I felt like retreating because it was so scary. But then I started getting a lot of feedback, a lot of letters of people saying thank you for talking about this when they can't talk about it to anyone in my family. Um, and people who were buying the book to give it to um, people in their families that they knew had experienced something. So I'm proudest of that just because of the effect it's had and how much it took to make it amazing that's amazing again Trinidad thank you for coming on I really do appreciate and by the way you're always welcome to come back because I want to talk to you more about art and all the stuff thank you you're so fun to talk to and you're so gracious and thoughtful so I will be back thank you so much thank you have a good evening 
Take care. Bye. Bye. Again, Trinidad, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Endel Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.